Podcasting from the heartland of America in the state of Missouri, this is Recovering Faith, a show about increasing or regaining faith, trusting God when it doesn't appear to make sense to do so, and coming to Christianity from a non-Christian or pseudo-Christian worldview. I am your host, Gene Curl, and I wholeheartedly welcome you to this show. Hello and welcome back to Recovering Faith. Today's episode is this is episode 33, and today's episode is titled, If We Are Saved by Grace, Why Can't We Continue to Live in Sin? And uh, before I get on with the episode, um, I want to thank you all for listening. Uh, if you're a regular listener and you like this podcast, or after you listen to this podcast uh, episode, if you like it, uh, if you could please go to iTunes or Google Play or wherever you're listening and give it a five-star uh, rating and a review. Um, those reviews it really helps out and helps people to find the podcast. Also, if uh, you would like to uh, let me know what you think about this episode or any other episode, uh, please go to genecurl.com and you can comment or you can find me on Twitter at genecurl. Uh, so with that, I'm going to get in with the, uh, uh, get into the main part of the podcast here. Uh, so I had recently had a conversation with a friend in which they said that if they're saved by grace, then they saw no reason why they could not just live and live their life however they wanted to. I responded by telling my friend that they did not understand how grace or salvation works and that there are a lot of reasons why we can't be saved if we don't live for God. The most important reason being that we, can't, that we can't accept the grace of God without first accepting Jesus, and living a life contrary to the teachings of the Bible without giving much thought to Jesus is a sure sign that a person has no interest whatsoever in Jesus or anything he taught. Such a person is not viewing Jesus as Lord, but rather as a get-out-of-hell card. If a person has been born again and is a follower of Jesus, then his or her nature has changed, and they no longer want to live for the world. So, when people say, if, you are, uh, if you're saved by grace, why can't you do whatever you want? Well, if you're if you are following Jesus and you've been saved, you've been changed, then as a part of that changed nature, you shouldn't want to do these sinful things. If a person wants to live for the world, then that's an extremely strong indication that they have not accepted Jesus and or committed to follow him, and therefore they are not saved. James, the half-brother of Jesus, told us, that when we have the true faith, it is followed by works. And he said that without, without works, faith is dead. In this instance, the gospel of Jesus could be viewed as a medication, that simply believing it will help uh, won't actually help. You actually have to apply it to see results. And um, James says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters? If someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can you uh, can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, 
go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the, dem- even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and that his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do, and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so so faith without works is dead. Uh, And that was James chapter 2, verse 14 through 26 in the New International Version. Now I want to be clear on this. James was not in any way suggesting or insinuating that we are saved by works, but rather that if we believe and have the correct information but do nothing about it, that we are like a man who is told the bridge is out ahead and believes the bridge is out, but does not alter his course to avoid going off the bridge. Uh, and then he goes off into the chasm in certain death. The end result is the man who believed the bridge was out and did nothing about it is in the same position as a person who didn't know or didn't believe that the bridge was out. As James pointed out, even the devils believe in, uh, believe in Jesus And as a result of that belief, they tremble at the thought of the judgment they will receive in the end. And yet, they still spend the entirety of their existence fighting against God. But also, what James was saying is that if we have faith and we believe in Jesus, that as a natural result of having faith that we are changed and that we, and that, uh, will have these fruits, or as uh, Jesus said, by their fruits you shall know them. And so if you've been saved, then you will show fruits of being saved because your entire person has changed. Some people think that the teachings of James and the teachings of Paul are at odds with one another, but I don't see it that way. While Paul stressed the importance of grace every chance he got, he still told us that we are not to live a life of sin and say that we must be slaves to righteousness. Paul said, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offered yourself to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that... Though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your hearts the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. 
You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I am using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as a slave to righteousness leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, you bene- the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that was Romans chapter 16, uh, verses 15 through 23, uh, 23 in the New International Version. As Paul says, we are either a slave to sin and will inherit the punishment that is associated with it, or we are slaves to righteousness and will inherit the rewards associated with it. Jesus died so that our sins could be forgiven. But a life lived in intentional sin does not lead to salvation, and nothing in the Bible suggests that it would. God has never and will never be happy with rebellion and blasphemy. We are saved by the grace of God, and we are saved by grace alone. The Bible is extremely clear on this. But many people don't understand grace or what it means to follow God. And that is why they ask why they can't just live in their life however they want and still be saved. If you have been saved, it is because you have given your heart to God. And a heart that has been given to God desires the things of God and does not desire to sin. Granted, all humans have a sinful nature, and some sin will always occur. As Paul said, we've all fallen short of the glory of God, so we will always sin as long as we're uh, alive. But once we have given our hearts to God, we strive to do what pleases God instead of looking for opportunities and excuses to sin. And when we do sin, our sin grieves us instead of bringing us pleasure. I have to wonder if people who ask why they can't live for the world and in rebellion against God and still be saved, if they ever think about the implications of their line of thought. To ask why we can't live a life of wanton sin and still be saved is to want to do absolutely nothing for God and still have him do everything for us, as if we were entitled, as if God owes us salvation. No one owes us anything, least of all God. We owe to God everything, from our first breath to our last, and everything in between. Yes, salvation is free, and we can't earn it. But we must accept the terms and conditions, including the non-compete clause that prohibits us from claiming the name of Christians but working for the devil instead. I have worked for several companies that required me to sign a non-compete clause uh, that uh, committed me to not working for any of their competitors while I was in their employee. And God certainly does not want us to be on the devil's payroll while we are trying to reap all the benefits of being on God's side. Now, you don't hear this line of thought too often in any other area other than religion. 
I can only imagine how my boss would react if I were to ask her what the minimum amount of effort I could put in, or if I were to ask her what was the minimum amount of effort I could put in at work and not get fired. Imagine if, in a marriage, if the bride or the groom were to ask their spouse what the minimum amount of effort that he or she had to put in, or what was the how much infidelity could be tolerated before divorce. Any reasonable person would immediately jump to the logical conclusion that his or her spouse wanted to be unfaithful, and that if they wanted to be unfaithful, that they were not committed to them or their relationship, and they did not care about them or their feelings. Just because God is perfect does not mean that he does not have feelings. And the Bible tells us that God is a jealous God, and that he does not want to share us with the world, with idols, or with the devil. All through the Bible, God forbids the worship of idols or other gods. And Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 23 through 24, it says, Be careful not to forget the covenants of the Lord your God that he made with you. Do not make for yourselves an idol in the form of anything the Lord your God has forbidden. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. And that was the New International Version. The book of Jonah tells us why God does not want to worship idols. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. And that was Jonah, uh, Jonah chapter 2, verse 8. And by the way, uh, all of the Bible verses that I quote are going to be New International Version. So, uh, Worshipping anything other than God is to turn away from God. And multiple times in the Bible, serving or worshipping idols or anything other than God is referred to as whoring after other gods. The Bible compares us to a bride and says that we are the bride of Christ. But no one wants a bride who is afraid of commitment or who refuses to make any commitments and can't or won't give up all of the other men. Just like everyone wants a faithful spouse, God wants a faithful people. If we are wanting to see how much sin we can fill our lives with and still not go to hell, then we don't love God at all. We just don't want to suffer for our sins and misdeeds. And God knows the difference and will judge accordingly. We can't be Christian and still follow the world or live like the world. Jesus said, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Matthew 6.24 It would be just as true to say that you cannot serve both God and the world. Either you serve God or you serve the world. You can't serve both. If we live like the world, we may think that Jesus was kind of a cool dude, but we are most certainly not following him or devoting our lives to him. When a person is devoted to something, it shows in almost every aspect of his or her life. And if your devotion to God doesn't show, and you look and act like the world, then you are devoted to the world and not to God. The Apostle Paul said that if we are saved, that we have been changed. And if we are changed, then we won't continue to do the same things that we used to do. As he says, we become a new creature in Christ. Before Paul was converted, he was overzealous in his attempts at stopping the teachings of Jesus at any cost. 
including putting those to death who believe in Jesus. But when he was converted, he no longer tried to stop the teachings of Jesus, and he was eventually put to death himself because he refused to renounce Jesus and what he taught. Being saved makes us a new creature in Christ, and as a natural result, we change to become more like the one who we follow. So if we are resistant to change, or if we change for the worst, then it is not Jesus whom we are following. To put it in another way, a way that practically anyone will understand, think of your favorite sports team, and then the team that you despise the most. Now, imagine that a player from the team you hate is traded to the team you love, and that he or she claimed to be part of the team, but kept playing for the other team by, like, I don't know, um, throwing the ball so it'd be intercepted, or fumbling, or... or um, whatever it is, to help the other team. That type of behavior would not be accepted, and none of the fans, none of the coaches, nor any of the team members would consider that person to be part of the team. In regards to world governments, if a person has sworn allegiance to one nation, but is working for an opposing nation, either secretly or openly, then that is considered to be treason. The greatest crime that anyone can commit. In times past, treason was always dealt with by execution. And God is no more lenient of treason than any government is. And yes, when you are serving the world or serving the devil, that is treason against God. But God is forgiving and will allow us the chance to return to him, unlike a government. Once you rebel against a nation, you are never trusted again, and you're never given the chance to redeem yourself, as that would also give you another opportunity to do harm. To serve God, or sorry, to serve another God, or to worship idols, or to wantonly sin in open rebellion against God, is no less treason than selling American government secrets to Russia or China. And it has far more reaching implications, especially in the next life. Some people have the mindset that they will live it up in this life, and before they die, they will return to God, repent, and be saved. A huge problem with living in sin and thinking that you will repent and turn to God before the end is that we never truly know when the end will be. A person could be the healthiest person in the world and still die in the middle of the night, or get hit by a car on his or her way to work or choke on their lunch, or anything. No one is guaranteed tomorrow. It is much better to always be ready to meet God, because some things are certain, including the fact that everyone will someday die. And once they die, everyone will stand before God and give an account of his or her life, and then they will be judged. Choosing the world is ultimately choosing not to be with God. Sooner or later, the bus will leave the station. We just better make sure that we are on the right one because there are no transfers, no stops, no detours, and no return trips. Once the bus leaves the station, our choice is final. And if we decide n not to choose a bus, then by default we have chosen the wrong bus. There are only two choices. 
God and the wrong choice. Any choice that does not lead to God, regardless of what it is or how good it may seem, is the wrong choice. Similarly, any choice that leads us to God, regardless of how painful or illogical it seems at the time, any choice that leads us to God is the right choice. God is the goal, not the means to the end. God is the end. The Bible tells us to always be ready because Jesus comes as the thief in the night. So, in other words, we have no way of knowing when we will meet God, only that we will. If we are ready when we meet God, things will go well for us. And we, if we are not ready, things will go poorly for us. I'm reminded of the movie Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Uh, where they're looking for the cup that Jesus drank out of, thinking that it will give them eternal life. And one man picks up this fancy cup that he thought would have been the cup Jesus drank out of, and he drank out of it, and just before he died, the old knight that was serving as the guardian said, You have chosen poorly. Well, uh, when we choose not to follow God... We have chosen poorly indeed. Intentionally living a life of sin and thinking that we will someday repent before it is too late, it's like playing chicken with a train, wall blindfolded, with earplugs in. You have no idea when the train is going to get there. You don't know how close you are. You don't know how to turn or where to turn. And you're going to get hit by that train and you're going to die. Well, that's the same thing. If we're, if we're betting our eternal existence, uh, if we're baiting, basing the face of our, fate of our souls on uh, we're going to repent before the end, we don't know when the end is. It could be in 50 years. It could be 70 years. It could be five minutes from now. It's more important to be ready. Jesus wanted to stress the importance of being ready for the kingdom of heaven. And he told the story of the foolish virgin, uh, virgins and the wise virgins, who were, they were all waiting for the wedding. The wise virgins were prepared and brought enough oil for their lamps. But the foolish virgins didn't bring enough oil, and their lamps went out. In the middle of the night, the wedding party could be heard coming, and they were coming to get all these virgins and take them to the wedding. The foolish virgins, realizing their lamps had gone out, tried to borrow oil from the wise virgins. But the wise ones knew that they would not have enough if they gave some of theirs away. And uh, they told the foolish virgins to go to the merchants and buy their own. By the time the foolish virgins came back with their oil, the wedding party had already taken all of the wise virgins and they had already left. So the foolish virgins filled their lamps and... They went to where the wedding was, but when they came to the gates, they tried to get in, but since they did not arrive with the, with the rest of the wedding party, they were denied entrance, and they missed the wedding. And you can read that story in Matthew 25, uh, verses 1 through 13. We are not expected to be perfect to be saved, and God knows that we can never be perfect, but we have to make an effort. A team may not cut you for not being the best player, but they will most certainly cut you for not putting in any effort at all. 
and they will absolutely cut you if you're playing for the other team. We must repent to be saved. And to repent is to turn to God, to change our sinful behavior from uh, change from sinful behavior to change to follow God. The Bible is clear that repentance comes before forgiveness, and repentance is to turn away from our sins and turn toward God. We can't expect to be saved if we are not willing to allow Jesus to change us. Yes, Jesus accepts us how we are, but he does not intend us to stay that way. And in fact, he wants us to change. Jesus loves us enough to accept us how we are, and he loves us far too much to allow us to stay that way. Jesus loves everyone enough to die for them. He loves you and he loves me, no matter what we have done. But he also wants us to love him. It is not enough for Jesus to love and accept us. We must also love and accept him. Jesus wants everyone to live with him in heaven, but he will not force us to do so. If we choose sin and destruction in this life, Jesus will let us have it. But if we choose to live with him, he will welcome us with open arms. No matter what you have done in life, no matter where you're at, you are not too far gone to change and come to God. If we love God and trust him enough to allow him to change us, he will change us. And I think that perhaps the biggest problem with thinking that living a life of sin is great and that repentance before the end is the way to go isn't even the fact that you might miss your chance and go to hell. I think the biggest problem with that is that you're choosing to live a life without God. And by doing so, you miss out on a life with Jesus by your side. A life with Jesus is more worthwhile, more fulfilling, and will lead to more true peace and true joy than life without him ever could. The peace the world gives you is that you have peace when things are going right. The peace that Jesus gives you is that you have peace even when things are going wrong. He said, I, uh, my peace I give you, not as the world uh, gives. So Jesus is not just the only one who can save us from an eternity in, in hell. Jesus is also the greatest friend that any of us could ever hope to have. However much you think God loves you, multiply that by infinity, and that's how much you are actually loved by God. God loves you. God bless you. And thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to the Recovering Faith Podcast. If you haven't already, subscribe so you never miss an episode. A new episode goes live every Wednesday. If you have questions, comments, have suggestions for a future episode, or if you would like to be a guest, you can contact me through my website, genecurl.com. Remember, it's gene like the unit of biological heredity and curl like a curl on your head. Please leave a review on iTunes, Google Play, or whichever streaming service you use. God bless you and keep you till the next episode.